Every time we get one of these prophet types up here, God just wants to open up heaven a little bit more. Nothing wrong with that, though, huh? Y'all done. Good job. Excellent stuff. Doesn't it feel good to be free? Sometimes you got to move to get free. So it's our pleasure to have a, what I can say is truly a Texan, even though she likes UT, but we're going to forgive her. Much mercy. Much mercy. She's a crazy lady. I like this woman. She has a heart that's really pure. And I'm, I mean, even the Texas thing, I just, it just shows me how pure your heart really is that we have to overcome such things. I love Jill. Let's pray for her and her husband, Michael. We want him here. Father, in Jesus' name, we want him here. We want him with her, you know, and her with him. This is what it ought to be. So we, um, we bless them both. And we ask that the center of the blessing right now would be upon her, Lord, so that she can just be as free as she needs to be in you and that she can minister to those that you love. Thank you for giving us that wonderful calling. I know that her and I share that. It is our blessing of life. Thank you. Now bless your people real good in the name of Jesus. Everybody agrees saying amen. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Hey, it's so good to be in Andrews. Good morning, Carol. I see you in the back. Don't you ever want to sit in the front when I come? Do you just always have to sit in the back, Carol? I choose to not take it personally. I just want you to know. So had so much fun. Uh, Larry picked me up at the airport yesterday flying in from Houston, and uh, we were just, you know, talking about all this political stuff because what else do we have to talk about? For goodness sakes, everything's just churned up as much as it could be. And so uh, I shared a story with him. He goes, oh, that's perfect. Share that with the people tomorrow. I said, that's just not a real spiritual story to share with the people. But, you know, I like to start with something kind of funny. So I'll, I'll at, at your bidding, <laughs> I'm going to blame you because you encouraged me to share it. But Michael does send his love from England. And he'll be back in January. So we'll come back together when Michael comes back. Amen. For those of you who haven't experienced my husband, you won't want to miss him. He, you have to experience Michael. You can't even explain it, can you? I was somewhere the other day at a party, and they said, where's that husband? Is he still using that machine gun? I'm like, yeah, the machine gun. I forgot about the machine gun with him shooting everybody. He's so funny. Anyway, in the spirit, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> in the spirit. He's got a powerful finger. Uh, so... I wanted to also bring greetings, uh, part of an apostolic center in Houston called Launch Houston. We're seeing great, great things happening in Houston, big old Houston. And uh, I was at the same party the other night, and uh, someone was just talking about how Dallas is just, you know, the traffic in Dallas is just everybody's come to Dallas. And I listened for about 10 minutes. I said, I really hate to play top the story with people. But I'm telling you, the world has moved to Houston. It is so out of control. I mean, you know, when you have freeways that are 22 lanes, 11 on each side, you know that we have been inundated by the flipping world. I'm talking we have over 500,000 Nigerians, which doesn't include the rest of Africa, 1.4 million Indians from India. The entire Asian world has come to Houston. And the other night I arrived from Denver at midnight with an Uber driver, and he was from Cuba. And I was giving him all my little Houston statistics. People are like, do you work for the Chamber of Commerce? No, but I could. And uh, he said, 
He said, well, I hate to tell you, ma'am, but Cuba's coming too. I said, Cuba's coming too? What's wrong with Miami? What's wrong with Florida? It's too expensive. We're coming to Houston. I'm like, Father in heaven. (laughs) So I'm just warning y'all, if you go to Houston anytime soon, be prepared. I mean, I'm just so grateful that I didn't have to learn to drive in what's going on there right now. It's, It's challenging. So we're trying to see revival come to big old Houston. Amen. So then I also bring greetings from our church in England. Michael and I live in Portsmouth, England. I'm going there in the middle of next month, and I'll be there through till January. And we have a wonderful church called the Water's Edge. It's in Poole, P-O-O-L-E, uh, England. And we love our pastors, Steve and Lizzie Shepherd. And we've had uh, beautiful visitations from the Lord in our small congregation, but we have about 15 different countries represented. So just wanted to welcome you from both houses that I come from. Amen. So this was last year. I, uh, I've been on the board of a ministry that's fighting sex trafficking in Houston. You know, since the world has come, it's a sex trafficking, you know, we're number one of the nation, something to not be proud of. And um, But in addition, the sex trafficking is the panhandling on the streets has increased, you know, with people asking for money on major intersections. And the pimps that handle the street people are so obvious, you know. They're just like always around, you know. So I went to get gas at this shell station, and this really big fat pimp I'm talking he's probably about 400 I'm just not kidding and he was in this big old black car and he had his stogie in his mouth and he was playing this loud rap music like boom 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 he has doors open and he was just all full of himself and this little skinny skinny emaciated guy he's got him pimping the streets getting money from people because he's just he looks it's just so sad. And, of course, people are going to give money. It looks like he's starving to death. And here's fat boy over here, the pimp, you know, just waiting for him to bring the money to give him. I'm telling you, I'd had enough of it. Now, I look, I know I look like a Pentecostal preacher this morning. I wore my bun and everything, just trying to look really with it for y'all this morning. But the real Jill came out, just so you don't think I'm nicer than God. And... I wear, I mean, here I am pumping gas, right? And I go right up to him in his big old 300M black car and his, his loud boom, 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 boom music. And I went, how dare you in the name of Jesus? And I just went on like that. And I mean, he went, Wah! he jumped in that car and drove off. And I thought, Jill, what came over you? You know, I was just like, I mean, it was like an out-of-body experience. But those warfare tongues went on longer than what I just spared you of just now. And so I'm kind of proud of myself, you know. So I call Michael and I tell him, and he said, he's dead silent. Don't do that again. (laughs) Let's not be doing that again, Jill. That could have gone another way. yeah, but I was fearless, he said, in the moment. Yes, sir, I said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's what I said to Michael. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. We know who's in charge, Michael. So this morning, uh, I had an interesting thing happen to me. We were in England and just a month ago, uh, in the middle of August. 
And I got a phone call from Chuck Pierce. Y'all know who Chuck Pierce is? And he was coming to Houston to do a revival meeting. And he called and he said, I'm going to speak Friday night. This is a sudden meeting in Houston in August. And he said, I'd like for you to share. I want all the prophets in Houston that have been plowing the ground for a long time to share Saturday morning. Now, this is mighty woman of faith and power that I am. I said, do you really need me? (laughs) I said, I mean, there's enough people in Houston. Do you really need me to do that? And he said, uh, hey, good to see you. He said, I'd like for you to be there. Well, you know, I've known him for 25 years, and he's never called and asked me to do anything. So I thought, you know, maybe I need to take that to the Lord. So I said to the Lord, I said, do I need to do that? And he said, yes. And I said, really? Now, I'm just just being really transparent. See, I was transparent before it was cool. So, <laughs> you know, I said, really? And he said, yes. And I said, well, are you going to give me a word? And he said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, I always assume I'm not going to get anything. Isn't that terrible? So I said, are you going to give me a word? And he said, yes. I said, great. What is it? And he said, Mercy. I said, mercy? I said, Lord, this is a revival meeting. How's that working? This is how the Lord and I talk. We do Q&A. I just want to encourage you, if you don't do Q&A with the Lord, it's fabulous. You never know where it's going to go. And I said, mercy? And he said, "Uh, what do you think is holding up revival in Houston? I said, probably that big old fat religious spirit that sits over the Metroplex. He said, right. He said, what do you, what do you think the, the fruit on that big tree, that big religious tree is? What's, a, what's the biggest fruit? And I said, uh, judgment. And he said, and what triumphs over judgment? And I said, mercy. So I come to you today to bring a mercy sandwich between these two judgment messages from Al. <laughs> And, I, you know, I am not the lamb to the slaughter this morning. I am just being obedient to the Lord because this is uh, a download that he gave me. I believe this is the beginning uh, of the revelation and more is coming. You may get more and then write to me. Larry, you may get more. Um, but it's purposeful in this hour and it might be different than what you think. But I just wanted to tell you how it came to me. The other thing is Larry is always so gracious about wanting to set Michael and I up to come a couple of times a year in the spring and the fall to come to Andrews. And I just haven't been able to, and especially with Michael out of the country and with me living, you know, bicontinentally. I'm not as available to travel as I used to be. Excuse me. And so when I got this download from the Lord, I called Larry. I said, I think I need to come. And you said, come on. You said, come on. So that's how we got here today. So that's, that's your little prep for this is a revelatory message from the Lord. Amen? And it's for you today to receive. I don't always encourage people to take notes, but I'm going to encourage you to take notes today on some of the things I'm sharing because this is an interactive word that will be helpful to you to refer back to. You see, judgment has blocked revival, not just in Houston. Throughout the ages, <clears throat> judgment has blocked, and judgment and control 
have blocked revival. We don't have trouble starting revivals. You know, you get a bunch of agreeing people together and we pray and we want God to show up and to have awakening, revival, whatever language you want to put on it. It's really not that hard. But sustaining it is the issue. Maintaining it, sustaining it, keeping life flowing through revival. And you read these stories about revival and they get going with the Big Bang. And then, oh, the religious spirit comes in. And they want to orchestrate it to go the way of man. And not just let it be the way of the Lord. Amen? Every revival that you study, from the Hebrides revival, the Welsh revivals, all the great revivals were stopped by man's judgment and control. That's an indictment on the church. And we know that the word says judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. So there's a cleansing going on right now in the house of the Lord for us to stand in these difficult days. Amen? It always begins with us because we have the greater power and we have the greater authority because we are the priesthood of the believer. And because Christ is in us and we're in him and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, that makes us very powerful. And I'm very aware that as a prophet to the nations, I carry the fear of the Lord because when I speak, it's impactful. I'm aware of that. But that isn't a power trip for me. That's a fearful thing for me. Because if I'm off track or if I'm off in my soul or if I haven't been delivered in an area, I release that to those that are listening to me. And I'm very convincing. I mean, I know I am. God's made me that way. But if I'm not convincing in him, we're all in trouble. And that's just a, we need to have discernment in Things need to bear witness with your spirit. Amen. And I curse this cough in Jesus' name. So judgment has disallowed unity and it's released strife and division. Now this is the judgment I'm talking about today. I'm talking about personal judgment. I'm talking about all of these opinions that we have. Nine out of ten of our opinions are judgments. I'm just, I mean, you know, we're going to get some vegetables this morning. You know, Emmy and, and uh, Jerry are the best place to stay. They're just so gracious. Thank you for having me. And she fixed eggs that had broccoli in them this morning, and I love that. So I got vegetables this morning. You're about to get some vegetables. Are you ready? Nine out of ten of our judgments uh, are opinions. Here's a little lightweight example. I was in Denver last week, and, you know, some of you ladies in the room that are my age or older can relate to this, but we grew up with an unwritten rule that you don't wear white pants after Labor Day. And I don't know where that memo came from, but many of us all got it that you do not wear white pants after Labor Day. So here we are in Denver, and we're picking up this nice woman to go to dinner. And out she comes in stark white pants with her blue and white top and her little white sweater. And the first thought that goes through my mind is, didn't, doesn't she know that you don't do that? It's after Labor Day. Father in heaven, help me. I had to just correct myself at that moment. Jill! This is, this is how ingrained our opinions are. 
We have opinions about everything. We have parental opinions. Our family thought that way. We think that way. And because we all think that way, we're right. But how many of those opinions are judgments? I mean, y'all just start thinking about this, and you're going to get convicted right along with me. I'm just not going to be in this by myself. So you've heard me speak about this before, but it bears repeating because the Lord just keeps coming back to Genesis 2, 9. There are two trees in the garden. I don't want you eating from the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil. It's also the tree of right and wrong. It's also the tree called religion. Because this is what happens When you start eating from that tree, and I'm so convinced I'm right, that makes you what? That makes you wrong, and vice versa. So is there ever going to be any unity in that piece? And the reason why we're drawn to eat from that tree, even though we were instructed to eat from the tree of life, which is Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, which never does that, is because the tree of right and wrong and the tree of good and evil bears bad fruit. But you're drawn because there's right on it. And you hear that little piece of right. And you just you go over there or, or that little piece of truth. And you, but there's a mixture. And that's what's happening in America today. It's a perversion of truth and lies. It's a, the definition of perversion is it's like a hemp rope where truth and lies are so tightly twisted, you can't tell where one rope ends and the other rope begins because they're so tightly twisted. That's the definition of perversion. We always just think perversion is sexual. Well, it is. But Islam is a perversion of Christianity. When you study Islam, you realize, you know, someone read the Bible and then they put their own twist on on, on making up these Islamic stories. You hear what I'm saying? It's a mixture. There's a twisting. So we don't want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't want to eat from the tree of right and wrong because the Lord instructed Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's telling us today, I don't want you to go there. So when I'm seeking the Lord about this word mercy, he took me to James 2.13. That's where we know it says mercy triumphs over judgment. But he had me read it in the Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke. And when you read it in the Aramaic, I just want you to listen to me because I doubt many of you have the Aramaic in here today. Some of you might. But in the Aramaic it says, mercy takes dominion over judgment. Come on. Mercy takes dominion over judgment. So that is not moving in the opposite spirit. The opposite spirit is you bless those who curse you. The opposite spirit is it's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. That's the opposite spirit. But we're talking about going past that second heaven and going up to the third heaven where God is and pulling mercy down. Because it takes dominion, it triumphs, it trumps judgment. Now, I'm telling you, we need this for us personally. My mother has been deceased seven years this Christmas. And the enemy still tries to judge me that I didn't do enough for her. 
Nobody could have done any more for a human being than I did for her. But the enemy comes in with that accusation because that's what he does at the right hand of God the Father. He's up there accusing us to Jesus. That's our intercessor saying, no, they're covered in my blood. They're mine. And we're not listening to all these accusations from the devil today. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so those accusations still come in our heads and our ears. Can anyone agree with me today about that? And so I had to call mercy down over myself to deliver me from the judgment from the enemy. This is a powerful revelation. Because when we get used to hearing scripture, we get familiar. Oh, mercy triumphs over judgment, blah, la la. But when you hear mercy takes dominion, that, that is an action step. That is, that is a, we're talking deliverance. This is a deliverance piece. And so then I had my own little Damascus Road experience. I started thinking about all the people that have come against Michael and I and me because I've been in ministry even longer than him. And all these faces every day of all these people that have judged me or us. When you're a point person in ministry, it's just like being your boss at work. You get more judgment than a regular worker, right? And we all get enough judgment to choke a horse. I mean, <laughs> and there's enough judgment going on in the spirit realm right now to choke a horse over this nation. I mean, that's so Texas, but you know what I mean. And so I started seeing all these faces of people that have judged me. And in typical Jill fashion, I say to the Father, Now, Lord, you know I've forgiven them. Defending myself before the Lord. You know I've forgiven them. He said, yes, you've forgiven them. But now I want you to deliver them. Ho! You have forgiven them, but I want you to take an action step. That's what you were talking about. I want you to take an action step, and I want you to deliver them. You see, forgiveness happens between us and the Lord right here in our heart, and it's number one. We have to start with forgiveness. I mean, we shouldn't even be taking communion if we have people that we have unforgiveness with. That's what the Word says. Forgiveness is the key to the Christian life. Amen? That's the key to Christianity is forgiveness. But the Lord is saying today, and because you're hearing me, you're now responsible. (laughs) At the sound of my words, you've forgiven them. But now I want you to deliver them. Because let me tell you what happens. When you pull that mercy down from that third heaven and you pull it down and you pray for people to be delivered from the judgment they had against you, you get more free. They get free and you get more free. I'm telling you, this is powerful. Because... It's taking an action step. And can you imagine if all the people in your family, in your community, in the church that have judged you, that you go back and make sure you've truly forgiven them, and then you pull this mercy down, and you see them get delivered, and you see families healed that have not been healed, and you see all kind of situations change. I'm telling you, I've been practicing this for the last month, and it is powerful. Case in point, yesterday at the airport, planes delayed, there's weather in Houston, it's rained every day in September in Houston, lightning, 
plane's delayed. So I'm sitting there on my little bench, like everybody else, just, you know, waiting to board. And this woman that I've known over the years, who didn't look like herself, walked right past me. And she turned around and she said, Jill? I said, yes. And I called her by name. And I said, how are you? She said, well, I'm on my way to this foreign country to minister. And I just verbally loved on her. Because in a warped second, the Lord brought back that at one point I had agreed with someone against her. And the Lord brought that back to me. So when I was seeing all these people, she wasn't one of them. So, I mean... I'm sitting on a bench in the Houston airport with millions of people, and she walks right in front of my face. Is that not just God? So when she went off to sit in her little corner, I started calling mercy down on her. And I just reminded the Lord what a blessing she is to the body of Christ and how I should, and I repented that I ever came in agreement against her at any level. You see, that's called a secondary offense. It's one thing when we get offended, if you do something to me and I get offended. But if you call me because you've done something to upset her and then I take up an offense for you because you've hurt her, that I don't have an issue with you, but I've taken up a secondary offense because she does. We do that all day long. And we think that's being... Uh, true true family, true brothers. True, I mean, that's called a secondary offense, and God hates it. And I took up a second, because the Bible says take no offense. So it's bad enough when we get offended with each other, but it's worse when someone calls you, you come into agreement, the power of agreement, and then you take up an offense for someone you don't even have an issue with. Are y'all getting this? I'm telling you, don't shout me down for preaching so good up here. But it, it was a deal. I, I mean, no one ever even told me that that was wrong. God himself showed me. So I'm going to read you in the Aramaic all of James 2.13. And remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges. So we don't need to worry about what they've just done to Brett Kavanaugh. Because judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy. So by showing mercy, you take dominion over judgment. You see, for years, and I don't know if I've ever talked to you all about this, but the reason I know Janine is she worked for Peter and Doris Wagner, and I worked for Cindy Jacobs. And we were all in the Spiritual Warfare Network together. And it started in the 90s. And my job for Cindy Jake was to oversee the Spiritual Warfare Network for all 50 states. And I'm telling you, I have called fire down on more people than I want to admit publicly today. I have been a, I mean, I may look blonde and fluffy to you, but I am a force to be reckoned with. I have prayer walked the nations of the world over this wealth transfer. And I have called fire and decreed judgment. I've done it all. I've done D.C. multiple times. I lived in Jerusalem. 
I've learned to war with the best. And, and I'm not bragging because I'm telling you, God showed me that this is what the second heaven was doing with my intercession. The demonic realm was going, yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> when you are down here shooting up at two, I mean, you've, you've really got to have an anointing. It just, the Lord just showed me a lot of the way we've been praying has not been working because it's not been bearing good fruit. I'm just, I'm just being real, you know. I, I'm just saying it. Talk to Janine. We've all been there. We've had casualties of war. We had three staff people die when I worked for Cindy Jacobs. Come on. So she has an anointing. Cindy has an anointing to go where angels fear to tread. But just trying to save the staff behind her was the issue. You know, she was doing what she was supposed to do. But, I mean, just trying to have the wisdom of how to protect the rest of us if we were going to, you know, take it by force. You see what I'm saying? So... That's when the Lord started downloading me with this, saying, you've got to completely get so right with me and all these people that you've had issues with and they've had issues with you by pulling this mercy down. Because if we just run into this governance, and I'm all about governing, but we have to govern from a place of purity, and that's where the authority comes from. That is the sonship piece. But you have to know that. You have to be a people who know your God. That's intimate knowing, K-N-O-W, so you can be strong and do great exploits. I mean, I almost died in Baltimore covering Dutch sheets. We were doing a national initiative, and I had stuff in my bloodline that hadn't been cleansed, and here I am, leader of the pack, you know, and throwing up in a hotel room because of demons that I didn't even know I needed to deal with from my own family bloodline. Come on! See, so we have to be wise as serpents and tender as doves, harmless as doves. That's what the word says. So back to mercy. In John 5, 1, we know the story of the healing that happened at the pool of Bethesda. But when you read it in the Aramaic, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to read. I could do an entire message on this. There is a pool of mercy right next to the sheep gate. And mercy precedes miracles because it's the love and the compassion of God. And so I was up in uh, Mexico. We, I flew into San Luis Potosi in January, and we went straight up into the mountains with the Indian people. And they told me that when David Hogan is there, he calls mercy down before the miracles are released. And I thought, there you have it. Because when Jesus was moved with compassion in the New Testament, it says that's when the multitudinous miracles broke out. Now, if we want to see awakening, if you want to see revival, it normally comes through miracles. Because you can't just talk people into Christianity. We've tried. You can't just talk them into it. Sometimes if they're ready, you can close a deal because they were already prepared by him and you're just closing it, right? But usually people need to see to believe. Then once you know him, you don't have to see to believe because faith is the evidence of things not seen. But when you don't know him and you get healed, that makes you a believer. 
I stood in line at the DPS. I don't know if y'all have tried to get a driver's license recently, but I drove to every small town in South Texas trying to avoid Houston since the world moved to Houston. And I, I drove four hours. I started out in Bay City. I went to Richmond Rosenberg. I went to Clute. I went to every small Texas town that I could find that had a Texas DPS. There were 150 people wrapped around every building. 50 people inside, 150 people outside. And we can talk later about what all that means, but that was odd. So one of the places, I went at 6 o'clock in the morning and stood for an hour and a half at 6 in the morning. There were already 65 people in front of me at 6 a.m. Come, on, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is weird. Anna stood there with this beautiful Muslim woman, just moved to Houston from Nigeria. <clears throat> she started asking, well, what do you do? I love it when people say, what do you do? Well, we're going to be standing here for a while, sister. You really want to know? Yeah, what do you do? I said, well, blah, blah, blah. She goes, you do healing miracle crusades in Africa? I said, I do. And I started talking about the miracles that have happened. I mean, 6.30 in the morning now. We've been standing there 30 minutes on the sidewalk in the humidity while my hair is just completely destroyed from my picture. I'm just trying to be real, but it was upsetting. Anyway... Tears are pouring down my face as I'm describing these miracles. And she goes, you are so passionate about this. And I said, wouldn't you be? I came this short of saying, because Allah doesn't operate like that. But I didn't. But I wanted to. Carol's laughing in the back. I wanted to. So then she said, Kingdom Connections, you're on TV. And I said, no, that's Jensen Franklin. I had my name first, but we'll deal with him later. But I'm glad you're watching Christian television. We had an awesome time. And then I found out I wasn't even at the right DPS. (laughs) Online didn't even tell me that. And so I just hugged her. We hugged and cried and exchanged cards. And I went on my way without another driver's license. Yeah. All right. So grace is getting what you don't deserve this isn't new information today but for the sake of this conversation grace is getting what we don't deserve but mercy is what not getting what we do deserve everybody get that grace is getting what you don't deserve mercy is not getting what you do deserve so where are we in time well if i'm going to get finished by 12 i'm going to roll on through this Hebrews 12:25 through 29 Everything that can be shaken is being shaken. Therefore, since we are receiving, say are receiving, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and what? Godly fear. So God is shaking the works of man's hands so that divine restoration can begin it's intentional shaking and of course verse 29 is my favorite for our god is a consuming fire i believe that brett kavanaugh will be confirmed but i'm going to just say this is the making of a man this is not about republican and democrats this is the making of a man who's going to sit on the supreme court of our nation for years to come and i think about the story of David and Goliath. <clears throat> and you know it so well. But David had been out in the field taking care of sheep. And the people in town had been listening to the bloviating of Goliath, that Nephilim giant, for 40 days. Listening 
to the bloviating of the giant and the fear-mongering. And, you know, I'm going to take you down. I'm going to take you out. Even King Saul was just shaking in his boots. And you know the story. David comes in from the field and he goes, who is this uncircumcised Philistine threatening the armies of the living God? Who is he? He's fearless because he's been in the presence of the Lord and he hadn't been listening. Like we've all been listening and, and having to endure this. And here comes in this precious vessel who's small and petite in stature, not some big guy. So it isn't the power of his might. And he gets a prophetic solution. He thinks, you know, I'm good with that slingshot. And I've killed the lion and the bear. I, 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 think, I think we could do this with this big boy. One smooth stone. You know the story. But see, we are a prophetic people. Spirit-filled people are prophetic people because we have Holy Spirit operating in us. We can get downloads of revelation. We just need to pull them down. We can't be like the world and get all upset like Henny Penny and the sky is falling because things aren't going well. We, we don't have the privilege of operating at that low level. We have to go up to that third heaven and pull down, just like God had me pull down mercy. We need to pull down revelation of what God's going to have us pray and God's going to have us do. Because David was just a man like we are. And if he can get a word to get a slingshot, something he's already equipped with, and take down a Nephilim giant and the brothers ran, we can too. I mean, this we have to operate at a higher level, especially as prophetic people. The lowest level of prophecy is discerning negativity. That's the lowest level of the prophetic. Even people that aren't saved can discern when things are bad. That isn't saying anything. We've got to come up higher and hear God, just like Revelation 4.1. I can hear a voice that sounds like a trumpet saying, come up here. I'm going to show you things and pray what we're hearing and move us and other people forward in God. That's the purpose of the prophetic gift. And we all can operate in that. You don't have to be in the office of prophet. You all hear God. Amen? Whether if it's audibly dreams, visions, and his word. But this is an hour where we need to be operating in prophetic solutions. So back to the religious spirit. A lot of people don't talk about it. So here come the vegetables of the morning. Number one, the religious spirit the first one is judgment. We've been talking about judgment. The second fruit of the religious spirit is criticism. Negativity. Fault finding. Pride. See, pride says you have the right to judge. You have the right to judge yourself. You have the right to judge other people. Judgment. We need to be careful with this judgment piece. Amen. Because it can pop you. God can use you in that way. You just have to know that it's him. Amen. Now, performance mentality that you have to do to get, that's a religious mindset. That's not Christianity. I'll never forget being in Jerusalem. The Lord said to me five times, I didn't call you to do. I didn't call you to do. I didn't call you to do. I called you to be, to be obedient to me. I love what Graham Cook says. We're not called to be man-pleasers. That's religion. We're called to please an audience of one. 
And then the other part of the religious spirit, and this in the whole, you know, I'm just, it's not an exhausted lift, but it's a good start, is knowledge. Because knowledge puffs up, but love does what? Builds up. So it's not that you don't want to have knowledge, but you don't want to exalt knowledge over your relationship with the Lord. Because a lot of people get religious with what they know. Amen? All right. So during this shaking time in the body of Christ, we need to be pillars of prayer, releasing prophetic solutions in the spirit. So I'm challenging you today to begin to get your prophetic solutions. It may be scriptures. It may be different downloads from the Lord. But they bring hope during times when the world is in chaos. We need new strategies for this new era. Amen? And so... I want to give you a definition of peace that the Lord gave me. Peace, the shalom of God. I think we think, oh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem like that's just some sweet thing that they won't be in war. This is the definition of peace. Peace is the structure that destroys the authority that generates chaos. Peace is the structure that destroys the authority that generates chaos. See, that's what we're up against right now. It's just chaos. But even yesterday on the plane, we got halfway here, and I mean, I thought that little plane was going to fall out of the sky. There was so much turbulence. You know, take your seats, take your seats to the stewardess, and make sure everybody has their seatbelts on. And I thought, you know, I'm on this plane. I don't have to put up with this. So I just said, out loud, I said, I pull peace down. And I say this chaos in the airwaves, cease and desist. It was immediate. There was no more turbulence. And I didn't care who heard me, but I had to do it audibly so the demonic realm would hear because they are not omniscient. You have to speak out loud to deal with the devil. I just called peace down. And I'm telling you, it worked. I thought, <laughs> I mean, this is working. Do you see what I'm saying? We are the priesthood of the believers. We have power and authority. We need to use it. This is something else the Lord told me about peace. Why would anyone take the peace that I offer and put it on the altar of worldly concern? Why would any of us take the peace that God offers us and put it on the altar of worldly concern? Isn't that powerful? See, these are prophetic solutions. We all, this isn't like I'm somebody special. Every one of you in here can pull this down. But we have to be willing to go past two to three and pull it down. We have to discipline our hearts to let peace be the umpire of our minds. There's a mind of the heart and the brain. And we have to discipline it to let peace be the umpire of our hearts and our minds. Amen? Thank you. Amen. So Michael and I, I was just getting this download, and one of our spiritual daughters called us from Connecticut. And uh, you know how when people are upset, especially sometimes when you're younger, you just talking 90 miles an hour, and she just, I mean, she was so upset. And she said, you know, her boss had just cussed her out and was threatening to fire her because she'd done something to help somebody else. And he called her fat. And, I mean, you know, to a young woman. That's the end of the world. I mean, that's the worst thing you can say, calling her fat. And she just was so upset. And, I, and, and so instead of agreeing with her, instead of getting 
taken up a secondary offense against the boss. I said, well, let us just pray about it. I've got this new revelation. Let me just try it out on you. (laughs) I've got this new mercy thing flowing. So we hang up, and I said, now you be sure and text me after this meeting tomorrow because I'm like, invested in how this is going to work right trying out my new revelation so uh, michael and i start praying and and we both got prophetically that he was having health issues he's older and that he was having health issues and that's yeah that can make you cranky right and so we pulled mercy down on him to break all of her judgment off of him and all the people she got to agree with her you know how we do rallied a small army of agreement to judge him for being mean to her So we pulled mercy down to deliver him from all that judgment. Then we pulled mercy down to deliver her from his judgment against her. And I'm just waiting with bated breath the next day. And so I text her and I said, well, what about that meeting? She goes, well, we're still in it. I said, three hours? She goes, yes. I said, well, call me. Call me on Messenger or something free on the Internet. I'm in England. So she calls. She goes, you're just not going to believe it. And I said, well, what happened? She said, he just melted like wax. He said, now, you're a good kid. He said, I, I am not feeling well, and I've been cranky at home, too. He said, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to fire you, and I shouldn't have said what I did. And, and so he, she said, we hugged and kissed, and the next day he sent flowers. He said, you're a good kid, and I'm sorry. You're not going anywhere. How powerful. I'm telling you, this mercy thing is working. Now, the old Jill would have agreed with her. And prayed, but I would have probably taken up an offense that one of my kids is being treated. This is the way we do. And when people judge us, our natural inclination is to do what? Judge them back. This is the level I'm talking about. And we have got to stop it because it's not pleasing to the Lord and it blocks us from having authority in the spirit realm because we can't be trusted with the heart of God in situations if we can't get past petty judgment and offenses. If we can't move past this level, how are we going to call fire down in Washington, D.C.? How are we going to have the authority to bring down judgment on evil people when we're not even right in our own life? Come on! That's what I'm talking about. We got to get it together. Larry, I'm going to honor you. I'm trying to get this done here. So love never fails. Love and mercy and wisdom are prophetic solutions in this hypercritical hour. This political correctness stuff, I mean, nobody wins. Because who's on first? I mean, you know, it's just nobody wins. But we're going to come up higher. And the Lord told me one time, and you've heard me say this. He said, Jill, I didn't call you to be right. I didn't call you to be right. I didn't call you to be right. I called you to be righteous. Because the kingdom of God is Romans 14, 17. Righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Spirit. Amen? We're a kingdom people. We haven't been called to eat from that tree of right and wrong. We've been called to be righteous. And so I just want to share some end time scriptures and then we're going to pray. James 3.17, I believe, is something we need to be standing on daily. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is what? First pure. Larry. I heard that all the way up here at the altar. 
James 3.17. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield. That's a spirit of submission. Submit to one another. Full of mercy. Good fruits. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. You see, we don't have to be politically correct. We've got James 3.17 as Christians. You know, we're called to be without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's, that's just our DNA. That's, you know. See, the whole thing is, because people don't know and have God, they get on these bandwagons where they're going to stand for all these agendas. If they would just be Christians, they could stand and see all kind of glorious things happen. It's just a worldly thing. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You see, there is presumption in prayer, and it's pride. But when we walk humbly with God, his ways are higher than our ways. His solutions are better than ours. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. Now, I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 11 from the Aramaic. This is so powerful. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. For we live in a time when the purpose of all the ages past is now completing its goal. Within us. See how rich the Aramaic is? We live in a time when the purpose of all ages past are now completing its goal within us. This is an exciting time to be alive. Larry shared a dream with me in the car yesterday about, and I won't share it, he can tell it to you again if he hadn't already, about you know, the last semester of law school and this vivid dream he had and how that's when he received his call into being a pastor. And, you know, last semester of law school, you're not going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a lawyer, but you're also going to be a pastor. And how power, and I believe that this scripture goes with that dream. And I'll let you talk to your people about it later, but it's just. So to recap, The first thing we do is receive mercy personally for all the judgment. Have any of you in the room received judgment in your lifetime from family, friends, coworkers, friends? Anybody in the room received any judgment? Really? Just a handful of people have ever been judged in this whole room. Okay. So receiving mercy from from the judgment for us personally. And then the second thing is we're going to release mercy to those we've judged and let the Holy Spirit bring their faces before you. Shared with you about my up close and personal example in the airport yesterday. Even if we've forgiven people, we still need to pull down mercy because it's going to deliver them. And I just want to remind us of the story of the prodigal son. If that wasn't mercy, what was it? But in this hour with revival, we're going to see a lot of prodigals coming back and we're going to have mercy for the prodigals, but we need to have mercy for the brother of the prodigal. Because it's just human nature to say, I've worked the field, I've been faithful, you're killing the fatted calf for him, and he's been gone, and what has he done, and look what I've done, and look what he's getting, and look what I didn't get. I mean, that is human nature. 
So we need mercy for them as well. Amen. And to be honest, we need to be transparent with the Lord about our opinions and just say to God, is this opinion a judgment or is this okay with you? This woman in England, I delivered this message first in our church in England, and she saw freedom ringing every time I called mercy down. This would be an awesome message for you to take to the prisons. This would be an awesome prison message. Just freedom ringing. And you know that old Phillips, Craig, and Dean song? Mercy came a-running like a prisoner set free. Mercy came a-running like a prisoner set free. That's what God's mercy does. That's how we all got saved was mercy. And if, if Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, if that wasn't mercy, what was it? Judgment would have taken him out. He was a Christian killer and he deserved judgment. But Jesus could see, the prophet could see with all that brilliance and that tenacity and that strength of character. I'm going to bring him into the kingdom for such a time as this. And he made him an apostle. And he wrote three quarters of the New Testament when he should have died by fire. Saul of Tarsus. Come on. God's ways are higher. You know, I don't want to see Hillary Clinton go to hell. Jesus died for her too. Listen to me. Jesus died for all these people we have issues with. He died for them too. We we don't want to just see vengeance. That belongs to the Lord. God is the lawmaker. He's the judge. We got to get ourselves cleaned up before we can run around calling fire down on everybody else. I mean, the fact that I'm standing here is a miracle. I just don't even want to tell you how many people I've called fire down on. And it didn't work. I mean, at least if it would have worked, I would have had some kudos. I'm just talking real today. I'm talking a spiritual warfare expert. That's what people would call me. I'm telling you it didn't work. The way we did it, it didn't work. It was presumption. It was religious pride. And I'm not proud of it. And I'm sharing it today just so you don't move in it yourselves. I'm just laying myself out here bare today saying don't go where I went because it brought hell on my life. I brought more warfare on me than I even deserved. And it's my fault. We've got to have the heart of the Father. And God may call you. I mean, I believe it was God what I did at that shell station. But my husband, don't be doing that again. You know, you'll know. But you have to be led by him. So if you'll just stand to your feet, we're going to pray and close. Because I'm honoring my friend and the pastor of this house. Tonight, I'm going to preach on God's measure is abundance. And I'm going to pray for everyone in the room. And it's going to be a powerful time tonight. I know that from the Lord. So it is time to govern. But if we want to legislate... We've got to bypass the demonic realm. And we can't just shoot arrows from one up to two. We've got to go up to three and pull down the governance. So 
We're about to confuse the demonic realm. This is what the Lord told me. They're used to us demanding, decreeing, calling down fire and justice. The demonic realm is used to it. But we're going to go above that today. So if you'll just repeat after me. Father, I ask your mercy to triumph over all judgment that's been released against me. I want complete deliverance from the religious spirit. And may the accuser have no open door in me. No open door. Father, I repent for every time I've had judgment in my heart or spoken judgment out. I pull down your mercy to take dominion over those I've judged with my opinions. Thank you for completely Delivering them from the religious spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's all I got to say, bro. Okay, so here's the drill. I'm hungry. I want to eat. Y'all go get your food. Let's meet back here. Go. Yeah, all the guys, go back. Set up tables if you would. Ladies. Feed me.